to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Good morning, church. Good morning. How are we all going? Good. Good. I second what Teresa said before. It's, it's feels like a real, it's always a blessing to come together, but it feels really special today to be able to come together and talk, we don't have the door, and talk about Matthew. So we're in a series of Matthew. Uh, last couple of weeks, we had Murray and Jeremy talk about Matthew 3. And today, we're going to be talking about Matthew 4. So for those who know, Matthew 4 is a pretty well-known story. It's about Jesus's uh, temptation in the wilderness. So I invite you to turn there on hard copy or device, uh, Matthew 4, we're going to start at verses 1 and 2. So to give a little bit of context, this is right after Jesus has been baptised by John. So, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterwards hungered. So, in other words, after not eating uh, for 40 days and 40 nights, the Bible feels the need to inform us that Jesus was hungry. <laughs> Profound. <laughs> uh, the Greek word is actually pinano, which is like really hungry, uh, like famished, like starving. And uh, you might be thinking, yeah, that, that's probably pretty obvious. But I just want us to keep that in mind as, we, as we're going through this, that Jesus was really, really hungry. I did some studies on hunger, well I looked up some studies on hunger, and uh, it's actually, they found that it can actually loosen your inhibitions and uh, cause people to take more risks, which sounds a little bit almost like a similar effect to alcohol. I know that sounds crazy, and, uh, and everyone knows someone that, that suffers from getting hangry, which is the anger and frustration caused by hunger. Now as a disclaimer, I got permission ahead of time to tell these stories, remember that Julia, I got permission. <laughs> I actually, um, I had the blessing of, of getting to know my, my future wife at the time she was, uh, getting to know her quite well because we, we did quite a lot of travelling together early on in our relationship and uh, they always say that that's one of the best ways to get to know someone and I did, I learned heaps about Juliet. I learned that she could speak multiple languages, um, one of the only reasons I managed to get round um, France without getting lost is that she could speak French. I learned that she was tidy and she was super organised. Um, but one of the most important lessons um, our group of friends learnt uh, developed into a saying. And that saying was, always feed the Juliet. <laughs> some, of, <laughs> some of you may remember, there used to be this movie, um, it was, it's a while back, it's called Gremlins. It's those cute little furry like animal creatures. But if you, if you feed them after midnight, um, they turned into like these vicious kind of monsters. With Juliet, it's like the opposite. If you, if, if you, um, if you don't feed Juliet before midnight, that's uh, when things really <laughs> start to have... Con I can tell everyone's... You're allowed to laugh. It's not nervous. She knows, she knows this. She's fully... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's fully, she's fully aware. I've got one more. We were on our way to a dinner party once, like literally driving there. <laughs> you know what I'm talking. We're on our way to dinner party, and she's like, "You've got to pull over." 
And I was like, why? Like, what's wrong? What have we forgotten? And she's like, I need to get something to eat. And I'm like, we're on our way to a dinner party. Like, we're literally, it's like, it's, we're on our way to eat. It's in the name. And she's, she's like, I can't. I can't wait. <laughs> you, have, you have to pull over. And I was like, all right. So I pulled over and then drove on the rest of the way, watching my wife smash a Snickers bar before we <laughs> went to a dinner party. Snickers actually really appropriately, it's got a, uh, it's got a, a campaign that says Snickers because you're not you when you're hungry. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no kidding. It's my own fault, really. I, I should have always remembered. You always feed the Juliet. So, safe to say, getting onto serious topics, safe to say that Jesus was probably pretty vulnerable uh, in this famished state. And Satan takes this opportunity in particular to strike. So I'm going to say observation one right off the bat about temptations, about spiritual warfare, is that you're probably not going to be feeling very prepared for it. You might be feeling the least ready to take them on. might be when you're hungry or angry, anxious, tired. So as a precursor to all this, I'm going to say we've got to be on extra alert at those times in particular because he doesn't fight fear. He loves to put the boot in when we're down. So just recapping, again, here we have Jesus, desperately hungry, most likely feeling very tired, low energy, he was alone, and what does the spirit, in my opinion, attack first? He questions Jesus' identity. In the, in the first two of the three temptations, the devil says to Jesus, if they'll be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. If they'll be the son of God, cast thyself down, it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee. They're going to save you. He, he, he reiterates, if they'll be the son of God. So from the beginning, the devil is seeking to cast doubt on Jesus' identity. I believe that, that he's trying to make Jesus question uh, who God the Father says he is. Now Jesus responds with, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He's quoting something here, he's quoting scripture, he's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, where Moses is reminding the Israelites who are just about to cross over into the promised land, he's reminding them, hey, remember, God has brought you this whole way and provided for you in the wilderness. And I'll say, in addition to that, I can't help but think that Jesus is also reminding Satan of the words that have just been spoken over him. Because just a few verses before, it was read out last week by Jeremy, we have the heavens opening up after Jesus is baptized and a voice saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So I'll say second observation for me in this temptation spiritual warfare is stay grounded in who God is and in who he says you are. So I just wrote down a few verses here that I um, that kind of came to mind. Psalm 139, fearfully and wonderfully made with a purpose. 2 Corinthians 6, 8, made sons and daughters of the Lord God Almighty. Romans 8, 17, made co-heirs with Jesus. And Romans 8, 11, being filled with the same Holy Spirit that raises Jesus, that raised Jesus from the dead. So just a few promises to those who believe in Christ. And the devil is going to try to desperately convince us that that's not the case. So here's some of the things 
that he says uh, to me, and maybe they might sound familiar to you. I've tried to collate them. There's a lot. (laughs) You haven't changed. I know you still have dirty thoughts. I know you still get angry and jealous and gossip. Why don't you just give up now before everyone realizes what a fraud you are? You see them over there. They're the real talent. They're the ones that God's truly working through. You're just dreaming if you think he's going to use someone like you for anything worthwhile. So, pretty brutal, eh? (laughs) Satan doesn't pull any punches. So I'd, I'd say that neither should we in our reaction to him. So I'd say feel free to remind him often and loudly. Shout if you need to about, again, who God is and who God says you are. So as a precursor, those, back to Jesus. In Matthew 4, the Bible records that he's tempted to do three things. Make stones bread, throw himself down from the top of the temple, see if God's angels will truly save him, bow down and worship Satan, and gain control of the whole world. So, yeah. Now, there are many things we can get from this. I mean, the amount of sermons that have been written on this passage is immense. But here's three things that came to me. Provision, protection, and power. But ultimately, it boils down to one, which is doubting God's character, i.e., will God come through? Does he really care? So for us in our situations today, are these relevant temptations? Are these things that we might struggle with too? Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've, I've faced all of those temptations, maybe all at the same time. It's, uh, it's very common. Provision is a big one, especially now. How are we going to put healthy food on the table? How are we going to afford tuition fees? Uh, the mower just broke down. How are we going to afford to fix it? It's tempting to try and, and shortcut things, right? Try and go the easy way. Maybe, um, maybe we get a loan from a, from a place that we know we shouldn't. Maybe we're, um, we're tempted to buy something cheap from um, a bit of a dodgy source. Uh, maybe we're tempted to do some quick cash jobs and, and we don't declare the tax. I actually do consultant work on the side, and I'll admit there's been times when money's a bit tight and I'm filling out the bill to send to them, and I think, why don't I just chuck another 100 bucks on this? I know they're not going to question it. They'll just think I spent more time on it. Maybe you, um, you tempt God with your lifestyle. For example, maybe you knowingly do things that harm you. I'm talking drugs and alcohol. Maybe you don't look after your health. Maybe you, you take unnecessarily risks like speeding or, or being sexually promiscuous. Maybe you, you challenge God and you say, hey, if, if you're real, get me out of these the consequences of these things only to go right back to them again. Then when he doesn't snap his fingers and make it all go away, you, you, you doubt him. You doubt his goodness. Or maybe it's, it's the power. And this is one I think most of us would struggle with because I think in some way we all want to be in control. Maybe not of the whole world, but of our lives. So the devil, we, he tempted Adam and Eve with that exact thing. He said, you can become like God. You can make the rules. Now, when it comes to um, being tempted and failing, I'd be willing to wager that I've probably got one of the most experienced resumes here. But 
when I am down, uh, there's one thing that, that helps me get up every time. And that's one thing motivates me to keep going. And that's, I know that what God promises me is a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times better than what the devil promises me. Now I'm going to attempt to present an idea here that Jesus' temptations were like a false shadow version. They were like a light version of the real things that he was actually called to do. It's, um, it's an idea that came out of a discussion that I had with um, a friend, Nathan Baxter. He's, he's a great man. He's preached here before. And the idea is, for the, for the scholarly amongst us, that the Bible contains patterns. Um, they're called chiasms. And uh, a famous example would be one that we've actually got in that room over there. It's, it's like, for whosoever will save his life will lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. It's like this whole, an idea gets presented and then reversed. This kind of upside down kingdom thinking. So in that mindset, let's explore the, uh, the idea that the temptations of Jesus could potentially fit into something like this. So my first question, why would turning stones into bread be something potentially sinful? Why was that a temptation for Jesus? Some people think that it's because Jesus was supposed to be fasting. Potentially, that, that kind of makes sense. But uh, the Bible says that after Jesus had fasted, 40 days and 40 nights, the devil came and tempted him with this particular thing. It says in Luke 4 that, that he was being tempted the whole way through. But we're not, we're not party to those temptations. We don't know exactly what they are. If they're repeats of these ones, fine, but we don't know that. And the time period of, of 40 days and 40 nights is, is really biblically significant. Um, Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Elijah went 40 days and 40 nights without food. To me, it kind of almost seems like the fast was a little bit over, like it had been accomplished. So what was, what was the sin? What was this temptation? It wasn't like the devil baked the bread himself and offered it to Jesus. Jesus could make the stones bread. On a side note, any bread that the devil baked, I know this is right, I imagined it <laughs> as almost being like something that looked amazing. It looked amazing. It looked like something Andy would bake. Or Luca, potentially. But once you bit into it, you'd be like, ugh. It would, it would 100% be gluten-free. Any bread that the devil baked. <laughs> so, that, that's, out of most of this, this is what's stuck in my mind. Whenever the devil tempts you with something, think, it's gluten-free. It's bound to be gluten-free. It's not what it says. <laughs> so... Someone here actually mentioned that it could have been to do with Jesus' motivations around turning stone into bread. And that idea has sparked my interest. So, so bear with me. We touched briefly on the fact that the devil deals in shadow callings. I believe that if he can't convince a Christian that they're not who God says they are, then he does his best to distract and delay. And how does he do that? He tempts us with things that on the surface might not seem like the wrong way to go. He tempts us with things that, at the heart of it, probably have selfish intentions and ultimately cause us to act outside of the leading of God, outside of the timing of God, and ultimately outside of the provision of God. He always, always, always wants to shed doubt that God has our best intentions at heart. He wants us to think that God has forgiven us and in 
doing that, we need to take things into our own hands to make sure that we get taken care of. So on to the example of Jesus. Jesus is tempted by Satan, turn the stone into bread. Jesus refuses. Later on in Jesus' ministry, he looks over a crowd of people that's come to hear him preach, and the Bible says he has compassion on them. So he does even greater than turning a stone into bread for himself. He turns five small loaves and two small fishes into enough food for 4,000 men. The Bible actually says men. I know it says the feeding of the 4,000. It was just 4,000 men and women and children. There are even enough leftovers to fill 12 baskets of food. What is the difference? I think Jesus moved with compassion and in God's timing and in total faith of God's goodness performs a miracle that doesn't just feed himself but provides enough food for thousands of people. See, in that situation, with the feeding of the 4,000 and plus, the motivation isn't satisfying his own hunger. The motivation, in my opinion, is compassion for others' hunger. The trust is put in God to do something far above for others what the devil tempted Jesus to ever do for himself. Is that making any sense? So what about the second temptation, the protection element. What I would say is the protection element. Jesus is tempted to test God's protection and throw himself off the top of the temple. In other words, test if God is really there. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus stands up in the temple. After his baptism, after this, after all of this, and pretty much delivers his mission statement. Luke 4, 18 and 19, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed, it, closed the book, gave it to the minister, and sat down. And I love this next verse. The eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And everyone's like, hang on, isn't this Joseph the carpenter's son? Like, what are you doing saying these things? And Jesus responds with, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Well, that riled everyone up good and proper. They get really angry. And they grab Jesus and they drag him to a cliff. And the Bible says they've got plans to throw him down headfirst. Sounds a little bit like the temptation Satan put forward. Is there a pattern going on here? Now, does Jesus get thrown headfirst down the cliff? No. The Bible actually records a miracle, and it's probably one of the most understated miracles of them all. It's truly unbelievable. The Bible says, but he passing through the midst of him, went his way. And I'm like, such casual language. <laughs> Almost just like, oh, just getting past you here, mate. Like, how did Jesus walk through the middle of an angry mob that had grabbed him with the sole purpose to throw him off a cliff and just quietly make his way home? That is divine protection <laughs> of God. We don't know. Did they get struck with blindness, like those attempting to attack Lot's family? Did God give them temporary amnesia? The Bible doesn't say but what it does say is that Jesus walks off safe and sound. 
Now, when Jesus stood up in that temple and he spoke those words, was he tempting God to protect him like Satan had tried to make him do? Was he thinking, right, God, you better get me out of this mess I've created for myself? I don't think so. He was standing up and proclaiming his mission, his selfless mission, good news to the poor, courage to the brokenhearted, release of the captives, restoration of sight to the blind, and restoration those to those that have been crushed. Compassion at play again. Is there starting a picture starting to form? When we put aside our own selfish desires and step into the things that God has for us in faith, we'll do far greater things than what the devil has ever tempted us with. What about the final temptation? What about the power? So here's Jesus and Satan, top of an exceedingly high mountain overlooking the kingdoms of the world. And Satan is showing off all their glory, the palaces and the gardens and the fabulously rich lifestyles. And he tempts Jesus with all of it. He said, it can be yours if only you bow down and worship me. Now Jesus was and is the creator of all things. Colossians 1.16, by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are in earth, that are in earth visible invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Satan tempts Jesus with all that he'd created in the first place. And the Bible says that all these things were already for Jesus. Their their intention was to be in submission to him. So essentially he's tempted by the devil, by something that's rightfully rightfully his, and he's tempted to take it right there and then and skip all the pain and suffering. Jesus, of course, refuses. And later on in the Bible, we read about Jesus putting aside his own desires for the sake of love. Matthew 26, 39, Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, and he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed saying, oh my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but thou will. He surrenders his will to the father and what was God the Father's motivation for all of this? What was his will? Famous verse, you all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Love was the motivation. So Jesus lays down his life on the cross. King of glory has his life taken by the very creatures that he gave life to. All things were created by him and for him. It was always all his. Hebrews 1 2, the inheritance of Christ is everything. So, not just the glory of the earth, like the devil offered, but the glory of the whole universe, everything in existence. But with that, motivated by love, God actually does something really special. Because not only does the selfless sacrifice of Christ cleanse those who believe from all their sins, it actually means that we get to share in that glory in those riches, in his kingdom. So what does that have to do with temptations that we face today? I've come to believe rather recently (laughs) that when it comes to dealing with temptation, it's not so much about focusing on what we are saying no to, but more on focusing what we should be saying yes to. It's like one of those backward patterns that we talked about, those chiasms. 
I tried to write one down. Forgive me if this is cheesy. It said, to overcome what you shouldn't be doing, then come over to what you should be doing. The devil, uh, that's to overcome what you shouldn't be doing, come over to what you should be doing. The devil will try and convince us that what he's offering is the best thing out. And that what God is offering is painful and hard and not worth the effort. The devil is offering like this, almost like a bit of a life hack. An opportunity to skip the line. But, it, but he's the one that can't be trusted. See, God, on the other hand, is always faithful. And the life he offers is truly abundant. But it's not easy. <laughs> it's fulfilling, but it's, uh, it's not fulfilled in, in being centered on us. So I was single for quite a few years in my 20s. And I'd actually grown to love it because I believed I could do what, absolutely anything I wanted and I didn't have to ask permission from anyone. That's what she says. <laughs> Unofficially, I don't have to ask permission. <laughs> and all the things I wanted to do, surprise, surprise. Well, no, I did kind of want to at the time. <laughs> they, were, they were very selfish and self-destructive because I didn't have to focus on anyone else. And as I've said here before, I was actually suffering from quite a bad drug addiction. And I just couldn't, um, I just couldn't stop. Even on mornings when I would wake up and I'd swear that I wouldn't go get any more, um, by that evening, I'd be back buying more. And ultimately, until ultimately, I was actually confronted with a choice. Because saying yes to this person that, that God had brought into my life actually meant saying no to all those things. All those things that I'd loved. But instead, I chose to love her. And um, before I knew it, I didn't even want to partake in those things anymore. Because actually my, house, my, my heart was elsewhere. Jesus taught that if you love God with all your heart, mind and soul, and your neighbor is yourself, you're going to fulfill all those commandments of the law. When love is our motivation, when compassion is our driver, it becomes pretty hard to justify stealing from someone or physically hurting someone or even living so recklessly that you leave your family behind too soon. That children get left without parents and, and parents are left grieving sons and daughters. It becomes hard to justify the urge to abuse someone with power when your heart is that of a compassionate servant. So how do we do that? How do we move forward in love? as Jesus did? How do we live selflessly? That's a huge question. <laughs> Properly covered in much more than a 30-minute message. But in short, I believe we can't. How's that for a closing thought? We can't in our own strength. For me, where we start is back at the beginning, in our identity, who we are in Christ, what we've been afforded and given in him. God forbid we're like that servant in Matthew 18 who gets forgiven that huge debt and then goes and strangles another servant, beats him up for a couple bucks. How we love others, how do we love others, sorry, I should say, by meditating daily on how much God loves and cares for us. It should be an overflow. If, if Christ is the focus, if being like Jesus is truly the object of our desire, then gradually, the more we start saying yes to being like him and walking like he walked, then by default, the saying no bit falls away.
Because the things that we're saying no to, they're no longer compatible with where the Spirit's leading you. But you've got to be walking where the Spirit's going. You've got to be pushing forward. Don't be like Peter on the water, focusing on all the things he's not supposed to be afraid of, instead of keeping his eyes on Jesus. That's what caused him to sink. And we can be encouraged that God is with us in the temptations. It's not like he's turned his back to do the washing and then the devil sneaks in and leads us astray. On the front of that newsletter is actually a verse, um, Matthew 4.1. That's the first one we read. And it says that Jesus was led up into the wilderness by the Spirit. It's God was present the whole time. 1 Corinthians 10.13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape it, that you may be able to bear it. Verse 11 of Matthew 4 uh, details the response of God after the temptations of Jesus. Angels come and minister to him. God will never leave us without the things we need. Does Jesus know the challenges we face? Absolutely. Jesus was hungry. It's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. And I thank the Lord, God, that it was Jesus that went through those trials and not me. Because personally, I couldn't have made it. And I know Juliet couldn't have made it. (laughs) But thank God that Jesus did. And um, maybe you're sitting here and you've never known the love of Jesus. It's all new. Maybe the love has waxed cold and you've found yourself focusing on anything but Jesus. I invite you to come to the front afterwards to pray with us. And I can tell you for a fact that you won't be alone because I'll be there asking for prayer because it's been a pretty hard couple of weeks. Because ultimately, Nicole, you shared a beautiful scripture before. It kind of sums up in, in giving up your life, there you're going to find it. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to... Sorry. Oh, was it? it wasn't a scripture? Take it all back. It sounded very scriptural. Some of it was, surely, yeah. I noticed some of it. It was beautiful. Mm. Right, well, I'm going to pray now. Heavenly Father, we're sorry, Lord, for all the temptations that we've fallen prey to, for all the things that we shouldn't have done but did. We ask, Lord, that you would fill our hearts and minds with the things that you want us to be doing the things that are good and right and acceptable to you. And may the things that we are tempted with that are not of you fall to the wayside. Thank you for the example of your perfect son, Jesus, who despite being tempted with everything we had, remains sinless, pay the ultimate price for us. Thank you for the love you displayed in sending him. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.